Good Hamlet, cast thy knighted color off, and let thine eye look like a friend on Denmark. Do not forever with thy veiled lids seek for thy noble father in the dust. Thou knowest tis common, all that lives must die, passing through nature to eternity. And I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Tonight we'll be discussing Season 3, Episode 2, Passing Through Nature to Eternity. Helena acquires the DNA she needs to test Liam and Eleanor's genetic claim to the throne. Cyrus publicly discredits his family and reveals his sickness. Eleanor and Jasper's relationship escalates, but remains a secret. Liam becomes involved with his brother's former girlfriend, Catherine. Robert signals a passing boat hoping to be rescued. Well, this episode didn't necessarily captivate me as much as the season premiere, I want to say right off the bat, but still a pretty solid episode that has me feeling optimistic about the rest of the season. It wasn't pure drudgery like some of the episodes in season two could get to be. And obviously, like, it's pretty early in the season, so I think they're doing a lot of table setting. Hard to be totally certain where everything's going, but it doesn't necessarily, with a few exceptions, seem like it's going anywhere bad. There's a couple new developments, specifically in this episode, a couple of new characters whom I'm not entirely sure how I feel about yet, but I'm open to seeing where this goes, especially because we've been hemorrhaging characters every season and we like need some new minor players to keep it from being, you yeah. know, just Eleanor and Jasper panting at each other, which I can take in small to medium doses, but not for an entire wow. episode's length. There is a classic TV saying, which is whenever God tears a character apart with an unruly mob, he... Leaves behind a small Scottish child. I think that proves to definitely be true in this instance. Well, speaking of table setting, we kind of have the ultimate table setting framing this episode. Oh, table yeah. setting that has been being set excruciatingly slowly for the past two seasons. Mm -hmm. We've been laying out this particular piece of silverware. And of course, I'm talking about Prince Robert. Who is still on an island and having hallucinations now. I guess that's kind of a new wrinkle. Dreams, hallucinations. Something like that, yeah. Who can say? The Ghosts. show does this a lot and it's sort of nebulous. Yeah. So it's either dreams or hallucinations, but in any case, kind of having, I guess in this case it is a dream of him being at a press conference, which is in the few Robert scenes we get in this episode, we're pretty... Still pretty light on Robert because he's trapped on an island and can't interact with anybody. Yeah, although we do see one weird moment in one of these dreams, specifically the press conference dream where he does interact with another family member. And it's kind of a little bit strange. So he's having this dream, which it's not well established that it's a dream at first. And I was almost like, is this a flashback? But then he's sitting at his father's desk and the press are all like screaming at him and they're being held back by a velvet rope, which obviously is more of like a paparazzi situation than how an actual press meeting at the palace would go. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that it's it's not a flashback. And then that becomes even more clear when the press is asking him about like, was it true that you were really trapped on this island and you purposely didn't come back? And the press disappears and Eleanor is there, his little sister, wearing a very vampy red dress, which is Eleanor's style. But it's it's a little bit it's a little bit strange that that's how he would costume his sister in his dream. You know, it's just like a very Jessica Rabbity sort of a dress. I suppose he maybe was just being as true to life impossible as possible in his dream. I guess so. I'm not implying that I think we're going to have any, like, 
Game of Thrones e uh, antics going down on this show. I just thought it was sort of a rare costuming misstep because normally I have nothing but praise for the outfit choices of this show. Anyway, Eleanor is like, is it true, Robbie, that you chose to leave us in his dream? And he wakes up and seems upset, but he isn't really moved to... Uh, even think about getting off the island until he starts to see this blonde girl in his dream slash hallucinations. He's always walking behind her and he can't see her face, but she has long blonde hair. She's wearing a white blouse and she has a tattoo on her neck that's a triangle triangle. with a dot in the center, like Mm -hmm. a really, really low budget version of the Deathly Hallows symbol. Yeah, it's the knockoff. Like, she started to get the Deathly Hallows, and then she ran out of money halfway through the process. I guess that eventually him seeing this woman spurs him to, in contrast to the last episode, conclude with using his flare to call down a passing boat. Um, which I'm glad about, because they could have kept him on that island for episodes and episodes and episodes and episodes, and it would have been infuriating to have him like show up finally in the penultimate episode of the season i'm glad they're just getting that out of the way i think that would have been a huge mistake they've been sitting on this for two seasons and now it's kind of time to uh, if i can borrow one of my father's favorite phrases shit or get off the pot Mm -hmm. we'll have to come back to the girl with the the significance of the triangle girl which is The worst Nancy Drew mystery, I guess. (laughs) There are so many, like, important symbols on this show. We spent all of last season having to look at the boring-ass Domino logo, which basically just looked like a bookcase that was sort of disorganized. Yes, kind of slightly falling over. It was a really generic label. It looks like the library symbol in your Spotify, guys, if you didn't watch the show. Absolutely. That is what it looks like. Zach sent me a screenshot of that. I was like, is Domino in my Spotify? And I absolutely had no clue what I was looking at because it's just the most generic symbol ever that I did not even get his joke after having to talk about that BS secret organization for an entire season. And, Plus, because yeah, I think there was something in season one. we had to wrap one. up a little bit last episode i don't know why we're torturing ourselves still because i think yeah enough reminisces about the past i think it's good and done it seems like um good and dead just like jeffrey stewart hopefully we can hope back in the good old uk i'm still not convinced that robert isn't being uh shot at the same location where Simon and Cyrus had their I wish I was a fisherman scenes right. in the first episode of the first season. There are like a lot of long grasses that look oddly familiar, but yeah. whatever. You're I right. think it would be Back great. To I do think it would be great if his way of getting rescued was he just walked over a hill and there was London literally right there on the other side of the hill. That feels possible, but uh, let's get back to London. Yeah. Is that where this palace is? I assume so. I, so. I don't know. It's it's in it's a very... not actually in London because it's where Winston Churchill yeah. grew up. There but is no, um, there is no city around the palace. It's supposed to be analogous to like Buckingham Palace. It's not actually admitted that they're not at like the major head of state place well but funnily enough buckingham palace wouldn't let ease the royals shoot there what's that about yeah i don't Can know you believe it i am in it's shock basically netflix is the crown do you think they even bothered to ask <laughs> oh no 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 i think they ha- have an amazing get in the location that they do have and we've had nothing but praise for that palace that they've used they've done an amazing job nice with both looking. interiors and exteriors i mean we have a lot of quibbles with this show, but we've never had a problem with the locations. If Those are always excellent. There is... Eleanor is asleep in her room. Late in the day, one assumes. It's probably past noon. And she is awoken by a small child missing several teeth with a very thick accent. A thick bro. Can I... Can I do my Sarah Alice impression? Sure. Maybe we'll have an audio clip of her, too. We can compare the two and see... See how it compares. All right. This is exactly what she sounds like. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Sarah Alice. 
Uncle Sarah and Duke Uncle Miss Sarah, or Alice, or whatever you want, considering you're a princess and all. Okay, we'll, we'll drop in her famous opening line, hello, 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 I'm Sarah Alice, right next to that, <laughs> and see if you can tell the difference, uh, dear listener, because it's pretty spot on. It. Uh, this is... James Hill's very kind of emotionally perceptive daughter. All she wants for Christmas is her two front teeth. Uh-huh. Uh, she's, you know, she's sort of a precocious TV kid in a way that makes me feel like we haven't seen the last of her when she walks away at the end of this episode. Yeah. But, you know, I, I didn't love everything about her. I don't think this show needs an adorable child because... I like it to be a little bit more, like, scandalous and sort of trashy than that. I'm not looking for, like, fine family fare. Yeah. But she she has her moments. Um, at one point, Eleanor tells her to heal, and she says very earnestly, I'm not a dog, but I'd love to have one. Which is exactly something a real child might say. All of her talk about, like, thinking the cocaine was fairy dust and asking like why don't you sleep in your tiara that stuff was a little bit more like don't kids say the darndest things this is what i think an adorable child would be like a brief it is not highlighted so we have no reason to assume it's going to be a major plot point but we do see eleanor with a few more drugs got cocaine in her room once again no one accuses her of being an addict or tries to steal her away to the countryside to cure her of her addiction or anything like that. It's just for the sake of this joke where the child almost eats some cocaine, I guess. Sprinkles it on herself, maybe. Yeah. Um, if Beck ever comes back on the show, speaking of people who try to sweep Whisper Eleanor away to the countryside, I will go like full Real Housewives and flip a table. I will be so mad. But yeah, I think it's meant to be implied that the drug use is now more recreational than habitual which mm -hmm. like i'm not here to tell anyone to do cocaine so i'm not gonna totally sign off on that but you know it seems to be a little more in control i hope it's not a major plot point this season i love her redone room it looks so great i don't believe that jasper and eleanor painted they did it not because neither of no them have way. ever done an honest day's work in their lives one they painted over the wallpaper which is not how that works two the door has these very ornate little like flourishes on it sort of yellow little flourishes that there's no way that those two added to it and the painting is very level and very nice i'm certain you don't believe that eleanor was up all night hammering gold leaf down to a thin I... thin foil uh, maybe that's what the cocaine was for to keep her on task <laughs> um that explains how it got done so fast because yeah. we don't know did jasper and eleanor paint her room last night did they start that project three months ago time has no who meaning. can say time has no meaning my assumption would be in the real world they tried to paint it. They were like, oh, this looks like shit. We should hire a professional. And then the professional came in. But in the world of the royals, pregnancy lasts two weeks and painting a room takes five minutes. So <laughs> I think they got into like a sexy paint fight after she got some paint on the arm of his shirt and it was getting pretty hot and heavy. But then they both realized they were covered in toxic paint and were like breathing in the fumes and had mm -hmm. to call it a night so they could take separate turpentine baths. Sure. That seems probable. I wish we had gotten that scene, but we did not. Half of this podcast is me pitching an alternate version of oh, the Royals. <laughs> Eleanor also has a very striking new portrait of her that's kind of much more modern than the one... She still has the old like... It's her melting. It's her melting. But it looks kind of... I think I it's thought cool. it looked good. It sits... It does look like an image if she had like her own perfume line or something like that. Right. And it sits opposite a the old fo the uh, portrait she has, which she spray painted over the face of. Um, which still looks so good. And I'm so glad they didn't take it down when they renovated her room. Yeah. It's perfect for her character. And we get a little... Speaking of portraits, not to jump ahead too much, uh, because we'll probably forget it if we don't. We get the return of the King Simon portrait, which Eleanor talks to briefly, being like, I'm doing okay, Dad. I loved that. 
I'm still, King Simon is still one of my favorite characters on this show. And we're excited because, you know, we saw that he might potentially be making some guest appearances this season. My mom, shout out to Angie, my mom, uh, was saying that she thinks it's going to be flashbacks showing the family when Robert and Simon were both still around. But we've also seen him be like a hallucination ghost which I would also like to see. So really anything is possible. Our slogan on this Royals podcast is, of course, ghosts welcome. We encourage ghosts of any kind to show up. Uh, so hopefully, we've said that from day one. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see. So hopefully we get a few good ghost sightings. Potentially we got one today, though I kind of doubt it. Uh, anyways, she pawns off the little girl on Jasper and they have a little, you know, cute, tete-a-tete conversation uh there's a really funny line where jasper acknowledges that sarah alice must be james hill's daughter and she's like how did you know and he says something to the effect of because he's short too which is the first of several james hill is short jokes in this episode yeah which is a, a new trend i don't remember previously hearing any james hill is short jokes or particularly thinking that the actor seemed especially short to be honest with you no he has presence but it's you know it's a fun bit jasper of course is super super deadpan which is the kind of um presence you want playing off a really saccharine character like sarah alice you know um so it, it sort of works he at the end of the scene picks her up by the back of her overalls and carries her out of the room which i mean i did kind of like i thought it was pretty cute basically sarah alice's purpose in this episode is to occasionally show up be cute and inspire conversations mostly between jasper and eleanor regarding their relationship being that Um, sarah alice tells uh james hill that jasper is her new boyfriend and eleanor will pretend to be jealous of sarah alice the little girl yes which of course brings up a real conversation about whether they're exclusive uh i will say before you move on from sarah alice too much i maintain that it is a bad idea to let your child run loose in this particular version of the royal palace for example she already found some (laughs) cocaine lying around (laughs) What would have happened if she had gone in there and Eleanor was super passed out and couldn't wake up? Or she had gone to the cocaine first or Eleanor was not there? I think, not to mention Rachel is probably running around in dominatrix gear in the next room. Just reeking of sex because she never showers, as is stated. That's canon from the last episode. I want the deleted scenes of what Sarah Alice saw and the long conversation she and James Hill had. When they got home. You're not acknowledging that James Hill, we learn in this episode, is a magical Mary Poppins-like figure who has a sixth sense of exactly when, why, and how people need him in their lives. And then he teaches them to take care of themselves. And this is all just a part of that. If he is a Mary Poppins... I'm going to mix metaphors. But if he's a Mary Poppins... That's what we do here. Sarah Alice is certainly one of his little elves because she is the one she's his talking parrot umbrella sure i haven't seen mary poppins in a long time i don't remember the umbrella talking have you ever seen mary poppins at all you don't remember the talking umbrella maybe when i was like five or six it was not in heavy rotation i think this podcast is over i've completely lost interest in dogging to you mary poppins was not in heavy rotation (laughs) in the powers household uh sorry to say can't relate cannot relate anyway to jump back in though um he has three rules for sarah alice which are as stated by sarah alice no fire no knives and if she's approached by a hostile stranger she's to tell them that she was born from the womb of a jackal uh, it was a fine bit of That's business pretty sick. yeah i didn't mind that i thought that joke was funny because i was like it's so such a weird thing to say born from the womb of a jackal it almost sounds like something that would be in like the witch like an old pagan curse like the thane of cawdor will be born from the womb of a jackal beware mcduff sure yeah i mean it was a nice little bit of business and i that's the only real exchange she and james hill have but it seemed like the two 
had a had some chemistry together. They worked well together as a pair, which is probably important for a father daughter. Again, I can't help but be swayed by children in spite of myself at times because I thought the last moment we saw them together when they were walking down the hallway and she was wearing her dad's giant blazer over her tiny little body was so cute. Hopeful, I, I am still hopeful that this was a bit of a take your daughter to work day situation and we don't get too, too much. She's not in every single episode. We've spent five hours talking about Sarah Alice. I know, we really Alice need to stop now. talking about Sarah We've spent Alice. half our runtime talking need about to... Sarah Alice and making Sarah Alice jokes. We need to move on. And since we already kind of talked about it, let's just talk about Jasper and Eleanor. Please. Uh, so the problem here is inspired by... Sarah, Alice, um, they have this conversation about whether they're exclusive and James Hill, because there's kind of a recurring theme in this episode, starting with the press conference dream and going through some stuff Liam says and some stuff Eleanor says. And this warning, uh, if the press finds out Jasper and Eleanor are an item, they will come down on him hard. They'll find out his secrets and they'll make life more of a hell probably for Eleanor as well. That may be true in the world that exists here where we live. This is a royal family who two weeks ago orchestrated a man being torn limb by limb. Who? That's fair. Who the king recently, and we'll get to this, publicly called his family assholes and announced he had cancer. I, <laughs> while dressed while as dressed the Joker. While dressed as the Joker and constantly makes threatening speeches where he arrests journalists illegally. He's openly a fascist. Open- Can you imagine living like that? Yeah. So, oh. um... I don't think that this would make as many waves as Hill worries about and Jasper by extension. To make a real world connection, though, this is sort of a moment where there actually is a royal family news item that kind of lines up with this because Prince Harry is dating American actress Meghan Markle right now from Suits on USA. Um, And she is biracial. I think she's um, she's has one African-American parent and one white parent. And apparently the British press really has been making their lives a living hell. And she's been getting massively heckled and harassed online and off. So uh, the palace, who almost never, ever, ever comments on this sort of thing, actually put out a statement about it, which is unheard of, defending her because it got so bad. So, you know, this is the rare instance of a royals plot that has some grounding in reality. Well, I had heard literally nothing about that, but uh, I do perhaps even less research on the real royal family than on this fictional one, so. I've got my finger on the pulse of life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jasper's response to not wanting to cause her any strife vis-a-vis the media is to say maybe we're not so exclusive, which inspires El. He doesn't put it like that, though. No, they have a long conversation about whether they ever said they were exclusive or what their relationship is or something. Well, but that's not how it starts. They're in the library with... And then, uh, you know, Eleanor makes the joke, oh, I hear there's a new girl in your life. Her name is Sarah Alice, but I'm not going to get sucked back down the Sarah Alice rabbit hole. Uh, Eleanor sort of wants to talk about whether or not they're exclusive because she wants Jasper to say, yes, I want us to be exclusive. And he basically is like, no, we're not. Like, you can date whoever you want. And that's kind of the end of it. Yeah. They don't have an in-depth conversation before Eleanor gets Liam to take her to this music festival with him and Jasper, obviously, because Jasper is Liam's bodyguard, even though they never, ever are together. So it makes no sense. No. Uh, and Eleanor tells Liam she wants to make Jasper jealous. Liam tells Jasper that Eleanor is trying to make him jealous because he has no, there's no brotherly code there. He has to side with his bro friend over his twin sister and, and salt her game like that. Well, and to be fair, I think the conversation goes something like, uh, I mean, uh, Jasper is aware that she's consciously trying to make him jealous. Oh, yeah. And also, there is a bit of comedy Jasper, this new Jasper 2.0, who is allowed to have comedy, (laughs) when Liam says, you know, she's just trying to make you jealous. And in a very funny delivery, Jasper responds, it's working. Yeah, he's like grumpy face Jasper. Yeah, a little grumpy about it, but not in a overly serious Jasper from season two way. But then things take a hard turn into old Jasper because basically Eleanor is hanging out with like guys that are either friends or friendly acquaintances of hers and Liam's, you know, the typical 
rich douchebags who sort of orbit them. And she's dancing with different guys, but, like, no one is harassing her or anything. She's flirting with them, and, like, it's very consensual and all that jazz. And Jasper just starts straight up knocking these dudes out. For example, we see him elbow this one guy in the face while they're waiting in line for the portable toilets. Yep. And then he shoves his body down between two porta bodies. Which is his unconscious body. I don't know if you, listener, have been to a music festival, but I can think of no worse place to wake up than shoved between two music festival porta potties. Possibly after the music festival is concluded and everyone oh, no. is gone. Who knows how long this poor soul was unconscious. I couldn't muster that much sympathy for this guy, though, because he looked like Ryan Lochte. And I was like, oh, fuck that guy. Um, Almost involuntarily. Fair enough. For most people. I've probably said this before, and I've probably said it about a lot of different things, but it still holds true. Jealousy is a pretty heavy spice to add to your dish, like a little dash, and it's sort of like, oh, you really care, that's sweet. But when you get to the point where your partner is physically abusing other people who you are like talking to and hanging out with, it's kind of overwhelming and gross and impossible to focus on anything else. So I found this to be, in an episode that was generally pretty solid, this was a rare misstep. Okay. Yeah, I, I could see that. But I will also say, in terms of historically, the Jasper-Eleanor relationship, I'm going to put this in the mild sins column, comparatively speaking. That's fair, but we always try to call it like it is. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, at the music festival, Eleanor kind of picks Jasper's brain for what's wrong with Liam. Uh, he has a heart-to-heart -heart with both Eleanor and Jasper over the course of this music festival, actually. And he kind of lets Eleanor know... You mean he has a heart-to-heart -heart with Eleanor and Liam? Each individually at separate times, yes. Sure, I wasn't sure who the pronoun was in that sentence. Yes. Um, and he lets Eleanor know kind of what's going on with Liam. They quickly stuff the Fight Club story thread in a box, and Jasper's just like, he's not doing that anymore. So they abandon that one right quick. That's fine. Yeah. That's really okay. <laughs> I guess, so he just kind of lets her know what's up with him, and then on the Liam side, they just talk about the pressures of being a royal, which is, again, a recurring theme in this episode. Jasper walks up, and it's like they're in the middle of a conversation. He's like, wow, it really never lets up, right? People are just obsessed with you and Len and your family. They're always looking, you always staring. It's like being in a fishbowl. It's like... This is the classic royals tell not show where a character is just stating that it's so hard to be royal, but we never see them do anything but like talk to super attractive young people and do drugs. And I want to briefly mention something because I remember previously you had a theory that when Jasper is using his English accent, he is always lying. And when he's using his American it's, accent. No, it's different now. It's changed this season. But I did have that theory, yeah, that whenever he was talking his American accent, he was telling the truth. And whenever he was talking his British accent, he was lying. That worked last season. But now they're playing this idea that he's under scrutiny from the press because of his connection to Eleanor. So now he's using his British accent way more, which is probably because Tom Austin, the actor who plays Jasper, is British. And it sounds better when he does his British accent. So they've sort of course corrected that and he's doing his British accent whenever they're out in public and his American accent whenever he's having a private conversation with someone. I found that slightly, it, I feel like when he talked to Eleanor, he was doing his American accent and when he talked to Liam, even though they were relatively alone yeah. and Liam knows he's an American, he was doing his British accent. Yeah. So I found that somewhat inconsistent. Yeah, it's but. true. But I, I think based on some conversations had in this episode, especially between James Hill and Jasper, where James Hill specifically references that he needs to be more careful about his accent, that that's kind of what they're playing. To wrap up the Jasper-Eleanor stuff, after the music festival, uh, I don't remember what spurs, but they have a conversation about... Uh, she gets undressed in front of him and is like bending over in front of the camera. It's like, all right, thank you. There's the male gaze we were looking for. But... Uh... Yeah, it leads to a conversation about them being exclusive, and Jasper says, okay, the reason I'm being so dodgy about this, I do want to be exclusive with you, but I'm worried about it will do what it will do to you in terms of the press. So they relate this story of 
a tutor who had a relationship with her bodyguard, which they then look directly into the camera and say, by the way, that's a real story. Go ahead and check Wikipedia. Yeah. The way Alexandra Park delivers it, she said it's a true story in a way that is so clear. It's like, Google it, motherfucker. Yeah. It's it's sort of like that moment. It's like they were directing it at us specifically. It's like that moment in Hamilton where they talk about Martha Washington's cat. And then Hamilton just says, that's true. Just chimes in to let you know. Yeah. Definitely a real thing. Although, of course... Like every Hamilton true fact now that's been disputed and some people are saying that's something that was created by John Adams and and Abigail Adams to continue to smear Hamilton's reputation. Yeah, I think I did read that. But um, regardless, (laughs) if you would like to hear Zach and I discuss Hamilton, you can listen to his other podcast, The Revisionist, the Hamilton episode, which I was on. Realistically, just listen to this one because inevitably it's going to happen. Eleanor pulls out this old book and is like, they communicated by leaving love notes. (laughs) In this book. Ugh. So it's a hollowed out book no. in the library. Stop. And surely, sure enough, by the end of the episode, she pulls the book off the shelf, opens it up, and there is a love letter inside. Thankfully, they do not yes. read this love letter. <laughs> Small because mercies. We get quite a lot of very high, high sap royals romance in this episode elsewhere wow we absolutely have to talk about liam's plotline for this episode now okay because you can't not use the sappiness as a jumping off point this plotline was ridiculously out of a nicholas sparks novel so liam is still talking with this girl from the previous episode whose name we now know as Catherine. i don't know why she didn't have a name in the first episode? Yeah, it's weird. It would have been great if they had just given her a name. I understand they're trying to make her origin mysterious and like purposely play with the fact that we don't really know what her deal is. But if they had just said Catherine, we still wouldn't have known. No, and we, we would- also wouldn't have been like, is this a Dominique Stewart Jr. recast? Because she was also very blonde and baby-faced and into yes. Liam and telling him he's great. As are many, many, many people on this show. Um, Yeah, and and this show has a history of recasting. So it was extremely confusing at the time, but thankfully, now we know, it's Catherine. Move on with your life. Um, And (laughs) That sounds like it was directed at me. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's clear that he kind of has a thing for her, but she's reticent to reciprocate for mysterious reasons. She also, like, she has him over to his apartment for a chat, and she acts like she's a maternal figure in some way. She's like, do you have anything you need? Your cell phone, your keys, your blah, blah, blah. And it's like, don't forget you're a prince. Oh, wait, I can't. Ha ha. And shuts the door behind him. It's just acting super, super strange. So right away, you're like, Something is not totally normal about this situation, but Mm -hmm. for the life of me, I'm ashamed of how long it took me to figure out what it was. Well, I I didn't I didn't realize what it was until the proper reveal of it. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, he goes to the music festival um, and afterwards, I think there's not much else to his story, except he then meets up with her on a set a set that looks like a street. They've used this set for when he was collapsed drunk after his father's death, when he's saying, I mm-hmm. just can't wait to be king. They've used this street for many scenes on this show. And it has never looked more like a set. Hello, hello, um, hello. I'm the mysterious exterior street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. The set is played by Sarah Alice. The scene starts oddly. This scene is weird. <laughs> She's just standing there motionless, looking in the other direction. And he appears behind her and says, hello. And she turns. Now, I guess we're supposed to assume they set up this meeting in advance, but they do not show that on screen. So from the perspective of the viewer, she is just standing in this street, not doing anything. Like a sim. <laughs> like like that scene in Wet Hot American Summer where they run up to the side of the barn and just stand facing it. That is her life. <laughs> I mean, like all the women in Liam's life, she does nothing until she's animated by him remembering she exists, that she can encourage him to be his best. Yeah, she's like a a Stepford wife or a Westworld robot that just turns (laughs) off 
when not but in the presence. Please tell me you remember some of what he says to her when he runs up to her on the street. So they have this conversation about whether they should or should not uh, begin a relationship. Fuck. And she <laughs> she's like, OK, she's like saying he should go. And then he has this speech and hopefully we'll I think maybe it's possible if we remember, we'll get a, a little bit of a clip of it because it's crazy. But he's like, my heart is a disaster. My head's even worse, and I know this isn't easy for you. But I want you, and I know you feel it too. And then they kiss, and then she's like, stay. Uh. Fuck. It's the sappiest. It is high octane. And Liam is almost always the one who's guilty of Royals, sappy. Melodrama romance, and this is so soapy, soapy ass shit. It is so, it's just a bunch of cliches sewn together, but this one is like egregiously bad. This is beyond Liam and Ophelia. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Which I never thought I would say after the my arms, my life, my bed, or whatever it was. uh It's, it's It's a combination of everything. The horrible speech that's so cliche and over the top and melodramatic. The set that is so much a set, it really feels like we jumped into Days it's of like Our Lives. It's like Masterpiece Theater. Yeah. Wait, what were you saying? It really feels like we jumped into an episode of Days of Our Lives for just a few oh, minutes. Oh, yeah. Well, either way. Yeah. <laughs> Low-budget public access television Absolutely. of some kind. Uh, um, yeah. So, at this point, they're cutting a lot in between Liam and Catherine and Robert imagining the blonde girl on the beach. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. I think I see where you're going here. And sure enough, we cut to Liam and Catherine in bed after their tryst. She's laying on her stomach and her hair is pushed back from her neck perfectly as every woman lies in bed with her hair perfectly styled over one shoulder. And there on the back of her neck is the hollow triangle tattoo with the dot in the center of it. And we cut right from that to Robert on the beach and the girl in his dreams turns around and we see her face. And sure enough, it's Catherine. And then back in Catherine's bedroom, there's a framed photo of her and Robert snuggled up to each other. And it becomes painfully obvious that she was at least his girlfriend if not his fiance, although it'd be so weird if they tried to retcon that he had a, a fiance who wasn't included in the state morning. Uh, yeah, because she did not show up like Robert's other, like Beck, Robert's best best friend. She did not show up to the funeral. Um, no, and Liam even says, "I wish we could have done more for you and your family," which implies that, like, it was a very very serious relationship, yeah. and that her family was somehow connected to theirs. So. It's kind of a, it's kind of weird. It doesn't totally make sense, but yeah. it's the Royals, and I'm kind of excited because it's like trashy fun, and it'll be entertaining when Robert comes back because it's another good way to tie him into the story. Yeah, and I guess that just leaves us more or less with Cyrus and Helena's storyline, uh, the last major thread of the episode. Which I honestly barely understood huge chunks of the storyline the first time I watched it through. It is bizarre and at times grotesque. Well, it starts with Cyrus going on that same Jimmy Fallon-ass talk show. That was this episode? Yeah. You're right. I'm losing track. And, And... For some reason, this talk show is the premier source of news in this country. The king is on it. I know. And he makes like a news, an announcement you should make at a press conference on this, uh, on this thing, which again, Shannon mentioned this. He is, he is dressed in a purple suit with a green shirt and like a purple hat. A purple like, fedora. Like purple wide fedora. brim fedora. Wide brim fedora. Yeah green shirt i mean he looks exactly like the joker and here's what i would like to say i mean the art direction on this show has been exemplary for the past two seasons and zach and i have basically like never shit on them especially the costume designer i want to believe that they kind of know what they're doing when they make him look exactly like the joker but i think that another 
I think maybe what they were actually going for was a violet colored suit because he like says on air that he was in love with violet. It's Who, very weird. The public doesn't seem to know that he got married and had a son. Yeah. So, okay. It's bizarre because he talks about how everybody in his family are calculating assholes, basically. And at least he, unlike the rest of them, is honest with the people and saying the only good person in the palace was Violet. Now, I don't know how the public would have any fucking idea who Violet was. They wouldn't, but it would be very Googled the next day. And he also announces that he has cancer and is probably dying, which is a pretty big news story, I would say. And the Jimmy Fallon host, who looks like if one of the most bro-y guys from The Bachelorette were... British uh-huh. just looks uncomfortable like he's not engaging with Cyrus the way an interviewer would like think about Oprah when Tom Cruise was jumping on her couch that was some fucking crazy shit but you know she rose to the occasion this guy is staring at the surface of his desk while the king announces that he has cancer probably terminal cancer on his show he's just staring I'm- at the surface of his desk and looking like Oh, this is so awkward. To this guy's credit, I have to say, he's got to be thinking, does this fucking family realize this is a late night comedy (laughs) talk show and this is not the venue for this kind of shit? I mean, uh, Cyrus is crazy. He obviously mistrusts the press, so maybe he didn't want to go to a legitimate news organization because he's so, like anti-freedom of press which was well established in season two he can also do what he's done formally which is make one of his dictatorial speeches to the people where he like swears revenge and Mm -hmm. vindication regardless um helena still needs dna to prove that liam and eleanor are in fact simon's children and comes up with a plan to get it basically by having James Hill say there's a new security measure and they need a retinal scan of Cyrus's eyes to get him out of his room so they can look for hair or what have you to get that DNA sample. Although for some reason, inexplicably, when they search this room, someone they decide that they need with them is Cyrus's double, a professional Cyrus impersonator slash Cyrus-themed gay stripper who's played by the actor who plays Cyrus. No, let me get through this. He Uh looks like a Boy George version of Cyrus, and the actor who plays him is doing this, like, crazy, effete, you know, stereotypically gay lisp, but, like, also half a Sarah Alice impression. So I assume that guy's there because they need him to get past the guards to the room and then let I them in guess. the back. Yes, it barely makes any sense. I think we should briefly note that when James Hill tries to get Cyrus to come to his office to do the retinal scan, that is the second of our James Hill is short jokes. Um, and also, doesn't Cyrus tell James Hill to blow him? He does. So first he says, uh, he makes fun of how short James Hill is, to which he responds something like, uh, I may be shorter than the last guy, but he killed people. Honestly, fair. And then he tries to kind of flatter Cyrus a little bit. And Cyrus says, um, Sucking up as opposed to simply sucking off will get you nowhere with me, Mr. Hill. Classic Cyrus, though. It took me really back to season one. It was actually almost comforting. Does that make sense? Kind of, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm glad he's not... I don't know. The Violet thing's still there, but I'm glad to see him being an evil bastard again. Yeah, after he leaves James Hill, he thinks he sees Violet walking down by, like, the the boat docks, the boathouse. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he pursues her, but never finds her she kind of vanishes i don't really understand Uh, that's why i'm ending all my sentences like a question yeah uh she seems to vanish almost as though she were a hallucination or a ghost but i don't think that's the case but they find in cyrus's room uh the they have trouble finding hair they have trouble finding toenail helena says he's like a hairless cat she's like down at eye level with his bedspread and Actually, Elizabeth Hurley does some really funny delivery. Uh, 
Willow is briefly in this episode. We didn't really talk about it because it basically doesn't matter. She meets up with Liam and asks if it's okay that she takes this job in the palace. And Liam's like, yeah, as long as you don't think it'll be a problem, it'll be great. But my family is kind of weird. And she's like, oh, I'm sure they're not that weird. Smash cut to Helena at eye level with Cyrus's bedspread going, nothing. It's like the man's a hairless cat. Yeah. So it was a very it was a very good joke. I liked the timing of that a lot. Uh that worked really well. Boy George version of Cyrus uh spots uh on the mantle over the fireplace a jar with floating perfectly in the middle of it uh Cyrus's removed testicle, the design of which seems to have taken a chapter from the design for the baby from a racer head because it is very disconcerting looking. It is alarming. I know it's supposed to be cancerous, but it's still alarming. Yeah. Um I it looked at it the first time large. I watched the episode and then the next time I watched the episode I made a concerted effort not to look at it. But Helena uh-huh. looks at it like uh, she's at the state fair and it's her prize hog, you know, mm-hmm. with like wonder in her eyes. Anyway, they Maybe take it's... it and it's jarred down from the mantle and parade it out. Yeah. Maybe it's more like a two-headed calf situation. But um... She looks like Rafiki carrying Simba. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so she has her DNA. Cyrus finds out about it and they have a brief conversation, but I don't remember that there's much else that occurs between the two of them is there no that's pretty much it and that actually pretty much concludes most of what happens this episode but i do want to mention because you know zach and i love to keep track of our super on the nose music cues the first time we see helena in this episode it doesn't really matter but um she's having herself like put together for the day and made up you know makeup and hair done and pampered by all these maids who are wearing these very through uniforms, but at least they don't, they're not wearing the slutty maid uniforms that Cyrus made them wear. So I felt, I felt happy. Anyway, as Helena is being pampered and done for the day, the song in the background is going, yeah, I love me, over and over yeah, again. I don't remember exactly the tune, but yes, it repeatedly says, I love me, while these fairly well choreographed fleet of, uh, of servants prepare Helena for her day. They're the Rockettes of servants. All the girls have matching banana curl ponytails with giant bows. But again, even though it would take them like three hours to put those outfits and hairstyles together every morning, I'm completely fine because at least I'm not seeing the top of their like thigh high sheer black stockings. And that scene concludes with uh, Helena and Lord Chamberlain Spencer already having a slightly flirtatious relationship again. So it's... Uh, again, as my mother called it last week when discussing with when discussing it with me, Helena's sexcapade. Yes, um, <laughs> I, it's inevitable. I think that those two are again going to have a sexual relationship before seasons end. But uh, yeah, yeah, I do want to say though, kind of on that same note. Uh, I like the vein they're going with this season where the conflict for Jasper and Eleanor isn't that they're being assholes to each other. It's that the conflict is exterior and like Mm -hmm. their love is a problem because he's a member of staff and she's a royal. So who knows? Maybe the Lord Chamberlain and Helena thing will sort of stand in as a foil to that kind of add to that motif of like ordinary people and the royals having these romances. I mean... Who can know the mind of Mark Schwann, just like who can know the mind of God? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, The third episode, because we had to, we had a little technical problem. We got this one out a little late, is out, but we didn't watch it yet, just so we could keep ourselves in the dark. Yeah, a little bit of housekeeping before we get to favorite moments. I'm really sorry about not having a new episode on time last week. There was some technical difficulties on my end because I just got a new computer and I'm still uh, working out some of the bugs on my end. But um, the good news is there won't be a new episode over Christmas time, so we can use that time to catch up. And then we're hoping to be right back on schedule once our producer, Darren Husted, uh, wraps production on his other podcast, I've Made a Huge Mistake, which you can find on iTunes. It's about Arrested Development. Then um, episodes of Stage of Fools may be coming to you even earlier in the week. But mm-hmm. again, we're working with three different time zones here. Uh, so um, it's a little bit tricky to keep those balls in the air. 
or balls in the jar to bring it back around to the Royals. Sure. Absolutely. So it's that time again. Zach, what was your favorite moment or image from this episode? That is not the best, but it'll stay with me the most. Is the absolutely super crazy cheesy Liam Catherine scene because it is so fucking ridiculous that it's hard to forget. Uh, although I don't know that I'd call it the best scene. Yeah, that's um, fair. This episode wasn't like last episode where it had a no. lot of memorable moments. No. It was more about advancing the plot, but that's fine. I suppose the other scene that maybe was a standout was Joker Cyrus calling out his family, <laughs> possibly. I think that was my favorite moment. That was one that I like even was screen capping and sending to friends and family as it was happening to be like, now you will understand why Zach and I do this podcast about the Royals. Mm -hmm. uh, but the episode, um, not the episode, the moment this episode that I think was my favorite, as in I was like, yes, 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 when it was happening was the last moment of the episode when that boat sees Robert and Robert uses the flare to, we can assume, get off the island because I'm really tired of putzing around with this character and the will he, won't he of his existence. I mm -hmm. When that happened at the end of the episode, I was like, yeah. we are the champions. I was so happy. I'm ready for him to join the cast. And we got that photograph of him, so we now have proof that he is physically capable of being photographed. Previously... <laughs> We weren't sure. But it we could have been a vampire situation. We haven't seen his palms yet, so we don't know that he doesn't have stigmata. That's true. He might be actually Jesus Christ. He might Jesus's uh, come again. It's very possible. Because according to everything all the other characters have said about him, he's good yep. at everything. Perfect. I mean, I kind of feel bad for Liam not to tell tales out of school, but based on how good Robert is at everything, I can't imagine that Liam was able to satisfy Catherine well, in bed the way that his brother could. True. You know, maybe we said that Robert could be a problem for Cyrus in terms of uh, keeping his his uh, crown. But if he was literally born uh, of a virgin birth, maybe that's a loophole. Maybe he's not uh, Cyrus's Simon's. son after all. Cyrus Simon's son yeah. after all. Well, Cyrus does have a son who vanished into the ether. So who knows if he'll ever be on a desert island and he'll ever shoot off his baby and flare gun. Two daughters who have yet to report in this season. So. I'm very curious to see if Maribel and Penelope show up again, but that's the fun of this season of Stage of Fools. We can make these speculations and not really know. Um, but I think for this episode, that pretty much wraps us up. That absolutely wraps us up. Um, if you want to hear more of me, but <laughs> unfortunately not Shannon, unless you listen to one particular Hamilton episode, again, check out The Revisionists. It's a comedy history podcast. I've talked about it before. It's on iTunes. It's great. There you go. Yeah, definitely check it out. And you can catch all my various sundry podcast guest appearances from my website, shannon-camp.com. Uh, for example, recently I was on our friend Patrick and Jenna's podcast, Gina's podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, Gina. Mm -hmm. uh, Kill by Kill, which is a really good time. And yep. I think that pretty much does it. So signing off, I'm Sarah Alice. Hello, I'm Zach Powers, I am. <laughs> I don't blame you if you never listen again. Good night. All right, bye. <laughs>Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.